weathering the storm. The Trump administration and lawmakers are coming up with ways to protect citizens and the U.S. economy amid the coronavirus pandemic. We have team coverage from the White House and Capitol Hill. Shut down. The daily outbreak brings daily life to a halt around the world from Europe to the United States. Prayer for the elderly, why Pope Francis dedicated his daily mass to senior citizens. And keeping the faith, how to enjoy a strong spiritual life when going to mass is not an option. On EWTN News Nightly for St. Patrick's Day, Tuesday, March 17, 2020. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Tracy Sable. Today was another day of major announcements and proposals coming in rapid fire succession from the White House. And it's all centered around the coronavirus. One idea will be putting cold hard cash into your wallet in just a few weeks. And we have team coverage tonight. Eric Rosales is on Capitol Hill with a push for a coronavirus aid bill. Mark Irons has the impact on everyday Americans. But we start now with Owen Jensen at the White House, where the coronavirus task force spoke again today. Owen. Hi, Tracy. Here at the White House, it was one announcement after the next this afternoon. They talked cash for Americans, telehealth, even fast food drive throughs and a lot more. In the fight against what President Trump calls the invisible enemy, today at a coronavirus task force briefing, a flurry of new announcements aimed at stopping the virus and supplementing people's wallets. If we do this right, uh, our country and, and the world, frankly, but our country can be rolling again. That includes sending Americans money, ASAP. We're looking at sending checks to Americans immediately. And what we've heard from hardworking Americans, many companies have now shut down, whether it's bars or restaurants. Americans need cash now, and the president wants to get cash now. And I mean now in the next two weeks. And what about concerns over the rising and falling markets? We absolutely believe in keeping the markets open, okay? Americans need to know they have access to their money. Money aside, in the battle against the virus itself, it's older people with underlying health issues most at risk. So the government wants to make it easier for folks on Medicare to use telehealth benefits so they don't have to risk being exposed to the virus. Medicare beneficiaries across the nation, no matter where they live, will now be able to receive a wide range of services via telehealth without ever having to leave home. And when it comes to testing? It's important the American people understand that testing is happening all over the country. But all of our health experts wanted me to tell the American people, you don't need the results of testing to know what you should do. The president also spoke to the fast food giants. In light of yesterday's guidance you heard, uh, to avoid eating or drinking at bars, restaurants, or public food courts, we discussed the important role that the drive-through pickup and delivery service can play in the weeks ahead. And also in those weeks ahead, the president reminded and urged Americans everyone has to do their part. We're asking everyone to work at home if possible, postpone unnecessary travel, and limit social gatherings to no more than 10 people. In terms of financial damage to the airlines, Mnuchin says this is worse than 9-11. Separately, Facebook is donating $100 million to small businesses to help them get through this. And the U.S. government is asking construction companies to donate their safety masks to hospitals. Tracy? Okay, thank you, Owen. Owen Jensen reporting from the White House tonight. Thank you, Owen.
Our debate continues on the Senate floor over the updated coronavirus aid bill. Senators from both parties are already in talks about yet another package. It would help small businesses and Americans with mortgage payments, but it comes with a heavy price tag that could approach $1 trillion. Correspondent Eric Rosales reports now from Capitol Hill. Eric. Well, Tracy, the White House sent Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin to Capitol Hill today. He's here to help Republicans work on a bill that they hope will be passed in Congress later this week, as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is promising swift action. Lord, breathe your strength and peace into our senators and use them for your glory. Prayers for peace on Capitol Hill. The Senate Minority Whip tells me Republicans are taking too long to pass coronavirus legislation. It physically arrived with all of the backup papers uh, last night. There's no excuse anymore. We should pass it and do it immediately. Republicans shot back. Today at 9.40 a.m., we just received the bill from the House called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. What business do Democrats have blaming McConnell all weekend for not calling a vote when we can't do anything until the House sends it over? His colleague James Inhofe says he's actually seen an increased spirit of bipartisanship. We went through the, the major change that was, took place in the House of Representatives and now we're re responding to it with their request and with their support. Dr. Bill Cassidy, Republican senator from Louisiana, shares advice for our audience. I was just reading Psalm 91 today, and it talks about how God can pass over the plague. This is, in a sense, a modern plague. And so for EWTN and all those others, I'm sure my mother-in-law is watching at this very minute, at this time, this is the time to pray. It is not just a question of faith. It is faith embodied and emboldened by wisdom, and the wisdom right now is the self quarantine. Senator McConnell wants his caucus to vote in favor of the House bill. He then says that Senate Republicans will then introduce their own bill, a much larger bill at warp speed. But Senator Chuck Schumer is accusing de uh, Republicans, that is, of slowing down the process to bring aid to the American people, and they're working on their own bill. Tracy. Correspondent Eric Rosales reporting from Capitol Hill tonight. Thank you, Eric. And we'll have more coverage later in the show, including keeping a strong spiritual life in this time of crisis, plus the impact around the country. Well, today is primary day for a few states in the Democratic presidential contest, but officials in Ohio canceled today's vote. What the governor decided that, that he was going to do with his health director is that order uh, through a public health order that it was not going to be safe for voters or for poll workers tomorrow. Officials halted the state's presidential primary just hours before voting was set to begin. Governor Mike DeWine tried to get the courts to delay the voting because crowds at polling places could put people at risk of catching the coronavirus. Today, Kentucky also postponed its primary for a month. And even though officials in Florida, Arizona and Illinois are moving forward with today's vote, some who work at polling places didn't show up. Pope Francis establishes a new law regarding judicial procedures within the Vatican. The new norms replace the previous law originally issued by Pope John Paul II 
Back in 1987, Pope Francis spoke to the members of the tribunal in February, expressing his confidence in their work to promote justice. The new system is intended to meet the requirements for greater efficiency. Andrea Galliaducci, Vatican analyst for EWTN News, joins us now from Rome via Skype. Great to see you. So, what are the most important changes to the judicial system? So this new judicial system is mostly a setup of the former judicial system that was established by St. John Paul II in 1987 and then amended by Benedict XVI in 2008. There are just minor changes, but even substantial. Uh, first thing is the expansion of the College of the Just Judges of the Tribunal. Now there are five judges. Before there were four. One of them must be full-time. This is brand new. All the judges in the Vatican were just taken, hired for a part-time job. You know, they used to be prof university professors, and then they used to serve to the Vatican Tribunal. But now, with the new norms, uh, especially in the financial system, uh, they need a full-time judge that can follow the procedures, the investigations, and so on. So that's one thing. There is one full-time magistrate, even in the prosecutor promoter of justice, that is the Vatican public prosecutor. There is a new new procedures to uh, prosecute the, uh, uh, the lawyers that are registered to the Vatican City State. And there are some other minor issues that are mostly technical, mostly in order to preserve the independence of the magistrates. What are the concerns or are there any concerns regarding this? Well, there has been wide discussion within the Vatican about this setup. You know, it was needed, it was necessary. Uh, the issue is, is the Vatican a state like any other? So we are going toward the satellization of the Vatican city state. Or is the Vatican an international entity that is needed for the OEC, but with its, with its particular particularity? This has been the discussion. According to what I see now, but this is just a first glance, we see that we're going toward a state model, so the, toward a Vatican that is more like any other state with a privileged relation with Italy. The magistrates will be mostly Italian because the model is the Italian one. Uh, they choose university professors, also jurists, according to the new law, but these university professors will come from Italy. So it's just, this, this was the concern. We'll see how they will tailor it because the Vatican has its particularity and this particularity has been brought up to the international organization. I mean, the Vatican is undergoing uh, inspections from Monival, uh, Council of Europe Monival, that is about financial transparency. Financial transparency must be internationally rooted and so on and on. So we'll see how it works now. Andre, how does this affect the Vatican's current reform? Well, this is part of a reform that started a long time ago with the amendments of Benedict XVI. Uh, mostly you have a Vatican city state uh, that is more modern, uh, better organized. Uh, we spoke last week about the fourth, uh, back and forth of the reforms. Actually, even that new office for the centralized office for the personnel was in fact uh, uh, something in contrast with this law because a centralized office uh, did not agree with uh, all the particularities of some offices. And we know from this reform that the tribunal will have total autonomy, total autonomy even in hiring, total autonomy even from the financial point of view. So. We need an harmonization because there are many proposals, uh, many laws that are set up, and now they're discussing how to harmonize all of them. Uh, in other news, the Vatican announced that there will be no faithful present at Pope Francis's Holy Week liturgical celebrations. What does this mean, and has this ever happened before? It, it hasn't happened in recent times. I don't remember any, any kind of uh, uh, situation like this one. 
it's true that the situation is particular. We know that the prefecture for the pontifical household put in the website an announcement that there will be no people at the papal masses. But that was most that was mostly uh, because a lot of people were requ already requesting for tickets, so they had to stop that. We don't know if there will be people or not. There was after that. Uh, uh, a clarification by the director of the Holy Cypress office and the director of the Holy Cypress office said that they're studying how to do that. Likely there will be someone, not the huge crowd that we used to see. But yes, it's brand new. It's kind of important because it tells us that the emergency is not going to be over in April 3rd, like Italian government said. Likely there will be more time for emergency. Likely the Holy See already know that and already they're already previewing that. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for your analysis and joining us today. Andrea Galliaducci, EWTN News Vatican Analyst. Thanks again. Thank you. Our Catholics in France begin praying a novena as the sanctuary of Our Lady of Lourdes closes for the first time in history. Every year, millions of pilgrims visit Lourdes in southern France. A French auxiliary bishop is calling on French Catholics to participate in a novena, a special prayer said for nine days to Our Lady of Lourdes starting today. Coming up, an update on the events being affected by coronavirus. The coronavirus pandemic is affecting all facets of life around the world. Correspondent Mark Irons joins us now to take a closer look at the closures and cancellations and how it's impacting Americans. Mark? Tracy, have we ever seen anything like this before in our lifetime? Restaurants, bars, and movie theaters closed. Flights grounded and retail stores left empty. Major events postponed. There will be no run for the roses this May. The annual Kentucky Derby postponed until September. It's one of the latest announcements in the last 24 hours amid a race to slow the spread of COVID-19. Today, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo assumed full responsibility for his statewide executive action. Your local mayor did not close your restaurants, your bars, your gyms, or your schools. I did. In an effort to limit crowd sizes, we're seeing restaurants and bars close in states across the country, giving some exceptions for takeout and delivery. You might rethink dinner and a movie. AMC and Regal, the two largest theater chains in the U.S., are shut down. And one final beer run in Pennsylvania after the state announced an indefinite closure of liquor stores starting at 9 p.m. tonight. Major retail outlets like REI, Foot Locker, and L.L. Bean are locking doors. And Walmart, known for staying open 24-7 at many locations, is limiting store hours. And vacation destinations are left bare. Mickey and Minnie Mouse wave goodbye for now with Disney World and Disneyland closed. In New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy issues a statewide curfew from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. All non-essential and non-emergency travel in Jersey is strongly discouraged. This will be remain in effect for the foreseeable future. We want everybody to be home. In the past two weeks, TSA says 5.2 million fewer people have passed through airport security checkpoints. Airlines are also cutting back on domestic and international flights. One example, American Airlines has suspended about 75% of its long-haul international flights. Tracy. Okay, thank you, Mark. Correspondent Mark Irons, thanks again. 
Joining me now by Skype from Chicago is Dr. Robert Tabali, an infectious disease specialist and clinical assistant professor of medicine at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. He is also a member of the Catholic Medical Association. Dr. Tabali, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Uh, nice to be with you tonight. Well, as you know, it's now being advised that gatherings be limited to 10 people or less here in the U.S. That's down from the original recommendation of 50 in order to flatten that curve. Can you explain what that means and how it can help to hopefully decrease the spread of the coronavirus? Well, if I could uh, use a couple of analogies, if you take a sugar cone, an ice cream cone, you flip it upside down and you, you would get a, a cone-like peak, that might be the uh, incidence of unrestricted spread of coronavirus in our population would go very high and have a very sharp angle of inclination. Uh, if you take a pie tin, flip it upside down, uh, that's really what we're going for here. We're trying to blunt that, that very peak and make it far less uh, of, a, of a high peak. And we're trying not to overwhelm our medical infrastructure. Uh, if we have a very high rise in spread of the infection throughout the population, we'll experience much of what happened in northern Italy, where their medical facilities were overrun with sick persons. Most of the people with coronavirus will not become very ill, but they can pass it on to other people. The people, the few people who do need care, if, once they aggregate in numbers with lots of those few people that do need care, that could overwhelm our intensive care units over, overwhelm our ability to care for their special needs with things like respirators and ventilators, and it could cause significant problems backing up, and hospitals could become full, and it, it would stress the system to breaking point. And as much anxiety as we have in society right now with these changes to our temporal uh, standards and things that we understand and things that we know and things that we do regularly, if we were unable to get medical care when family members needed it, that would be more anxiety provoking than what we're going through right now. Dr. Dabali, do you know where we stand here in the U.S. in terms of testing for COVID-19 and also who should be tested? Well, the testing is being transferred from a, a public a laboratory only to a public-private partnership. Uh, that is an evolution everywhere. Here in Illinois, uh, a lot of the testing is still being done through the public health laboratories, which is limiting the availability. Uh, one of the things that will open up the avenues to testing very widely is when we develop a blood test for the virus. And while it may not be as rapidly uh, predictive of infection as a, a swab in the nose would be, it would be readily much more available uh, so that uh, thousands of people could be tested in, in every center every day, as opposed to just a few hundred persons. Uh, you know, we're also hearing about this shortage of medical supplies. How concerning is that to you? Well, it, it's uh, somewhat concerning. We would hope that we would have enough uh, N95 ventilator masks and personal protective equipment for healthcare providers so that they would not get infected. One of the important uh, issues in a widespread infection like this uh, is to protect the medical providers so that they don't become sick. We need our medical providers on the job caring for individuals who are ill. Well, Dr. Tabali, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insight. Thank you very much.
A no trial for Monsignor William Lynn. That's because courts in Philadelphia are shut down due to the coronavirus, meaning the only Catholic Church official sent to prison for ignoring abuse claims will have to wait for his retrial. The 69-year-old has spent three years in prison. His lawyers want the case thrown out. Up next, Pope Francis tells the faithful why forgiveness is a gift from God and how the lives of saints can inspire us during times of crisis. Six-time Super Bowl winner Tom Brady says that he is leaving the New England Patriots. The 42-year-old quarterback said today on social media, quote, my football journey will take place elsewhere. It is unclear where the three-time pro football most valuable player will play next. Brady graduated from Unipero Sarah Catholic High School in San Mateo, California. Pope Francis says asking forgiveness means to forgive. Chiedere perdono significa perdonare. At the Holy Father's Daily Mass, the Pope said unity, friendship, and peace among neighbors attracts God's goodness. Attachment to hatred seems stronger than attachment to love, but he added forgiving is a condition for going to heaven. Pope Francis also prayed for the elderly today who may be currently suffering. All those feelings of isolation, loneliness, and fear highlighted by Pope Francis aren't just being experienced by the elderly, but also by so many around the world trying to navigate a new way of life in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. For the faithful, the inability to attend Mass has added an additional challenge. Joining me now to talk about how to keep our spiritual lives strong during this time is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor and Washington Bureau Chief of EWTN News. Matthew, welcome back to the show. Great to see you. You're good to be here. So, you know, many of us, it's really, this is something new for us. We haven't seen this before, but pandemics have occurred throughout history. Um, so can we talk about the history of the church and her saints in moments like this? How it can help us? Well, let's remember that in the 2,000 years of the history of the church, there's almost nothing that the church has not seen, and that includes plagues. And in that history of the church, we can turn to saints and popes and how we should respond ourselves in dealing with what is not just a medical crisis, but now for many people is a spiritual crisis. We go back to around 593, Pope St. Gregory I the Great, one of the greatest popes in, in the history of the church, was confronting a plague in Rome. He led a procession to the Tiber. And part of that was carrying an image of Salus Populi Romani, the, the, the health, the person who brings health to the people of Rome. And the plague ended, and he had a vision of St. Michael the Archangel sheathing his sword in what had been seen as a time of terrible suffering. And if we jump 1,500 years ahead to Pope Francis, this last weekend, what did he do? He went to Santa Maria Maggiore and he prayed before the same image of the Salus Populi Romani. What are the lessons from that? We learn from history that we pray, we ask God's mercy and forgiveness, but we also find that spiritual strength to endure these times of crisis for all of us. Yeah, and so important for all of us right now. Uh, you kind of touched on it, but are there you know, practical ways that saints can help us through these difficult times? And if so, can you explain? Well, in the lives of the saints, uh, we find countless examples of a couple of things. The first is, even in the midst of this type of a crisis, we cannot give up our impulse and our call to charity, to love. Uh, St. Charles Borromeo, as the Archbishop of Milan, confronted a plague himself in, I think, in the 1580s. And the way he did it was to go out and using his own money to feed 60,000 people to provide the medical care. 
But we also have the recommendation and the requirement to do so with prudence. So we turned to St. Marianne Cope, who lived on the island of Molokai, sort of successor to Damien de Wooster. Her beautiful technique of caring for the lepers of Molokai meant that it was done prudently and efficiently. So for us, we have to continue to be charitable, but we also have to be prudent in how we do it and how we find our own ways in our own lives uh, to lead that charity with prudence. Yeah. Oh, quickly, we don't have much time. I could yeah. talk about this all day, but we're in Lent and there is no Mass. How can we be more connected with God and help to overcome that fear and anxiety that many of us are feeling? Well, the first right now is to double down on Lent. Uh, to embrace Lent uh, that is before us in a very dark and difficult time for many of us. The other is to recognize that while we can't get to Mass, we can turn to St. Clair of Assisi, the patron saint of television, who was gifted the, the vision of a Mass that she could not herself attend. And for us then, we hold her up as a role model at a time of social distancing, which we have to hold prudently. Let's also draw much closer to each other spiritually, and especially draw much closer to our Lord. Perfect. And we can do that right here on EWTN. Uh, with the EWTN's broadcast of our masses and all of our prayer services, this is a perfect opportunity for us, even from our homes, uh, to stay connected and remember to do a spiritual communion. Absolutely. Dr. Bunsen, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Good to be with you. Well, today is the Feast of St. Patrick, but it's feeling different this year. The St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York is canceled for the first time in 258 years, and in Ireland, all pubs and bars are closed today. The parade in Dublin usually draws a half a million people, but only a few tourists were on the streets of the Irish capital today. Church bells across Ireland rang out after Mass this morning, and Ireland's Archbishop invited people to recite the prayer of St. Patrick. EWTN contributor Colin Flynn tells us the story of St. Patrick, one of the most famous Catholic saints. St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland, known for spreading Christianity throughout the island during the 5th century. His memory and influence is still felt today as people celebrate St. Patrick's Day around the world. But who was this missionary that would go on to become one of the church's most famous saints? St. Patrick was not actually Irish. He was born in Britain and was sold as a slave and sent to Ireland. And he was a shepherd slave there for six years. He was cold, lonely, isolated. He was only 16. Working in extremely harsh conditions, his faith started to grow. The faith that he had so casually dismissed in his youth suddenly became important to him. And he would see later in life that the time he spent in slavery was in fact providential. It was the mercy of God. After escaping slavery, he traveled Europe where he studied Christianity. So he went to France and he studied for the priesthood. He was made a bishop and then he came back to Ireland. He returned to Ireland after having a dream that God wanted him to bring Christianity to Ireland. And he couldn't get this out of his head. It was as clear as crystal to him that this was something that he had to do. His time here had opened his heart to the needs of the people that were here. And that was extraordinary because if you escape slavery, you don't want to go back to the people that enslaved you. It is said that Patrick went to the most powerful king in Ireland. And when trying to explain his religion to the king, Patrick grasped a shamrock and used the three leaves connected to one stem to explain the Blessed Trinity. The king was impressed, allowing Patrick and his followers to travel across Ireland, spreading the gospel. 
and they were successful in driving out paganism, which is symbolized by the metaphor of Patrick driving snakes out of Ireland. Patrick died on the 17th of March in the year 461, at the age of 76. The way Patrick lived became the way that the Irish lived. He was very prayerful, and that was translated very soon afterwards into the establishment of monastic settlements. And today, people all over the world remember St. Patrick, the man who brought Christianity to Ireland. Because St. Patrick's Day is not about being Irish. St. Patrick's Day is about being Christian. Colm Flynn for EWTN News Nightly. And we thank you for watching tonight. For the entire EWTN News Nightly team, I'm Tracy Sable. We're back tomorrow with more news from a Catholic perspective. Good night and God bless.